Hello, and welcome to the Graceful and Gritty podcast. My name is Sydney. I'm your host. I'm a wife, business owner, lifelong learner, and follower of Jesus. I was born and raised in Colorado and live here with my wonderful husband of six years. I'm passionate about people and have a knack for business. My hope is that we can learn together about doing life with grace and grit. We'll talk about all things life from faith and finance to business and balance. My prayer is that this will be a place of help, encouragement, honest conversation, and authentic growth. Thank you for joining me. Hi, friends. I hope that you had a really good week. Um, I did. I uh, flew to San Diego for a few days for um, a conference with um, the restaurant team that I work with and all of their corporate staff and every individual franchise owner. So we all get together once a year. It's like a big, huge family reunion. Um, I haven't gotten to go in the past couple of years because um, of COVID restrictions and then having COVID. And uh, so it was really neat to be together and really spend time um, just learning from each other and inspiring each other and and sharing things. And so I got home late last night, but uh, really had a good trip there. I got to hear some really cool speakers, a man named Rourke Denver, who's a um, retired Navy SEAL, and some of the lessons that he learned about leadership and um, continuing and what it takes to identify leaders. And that was really neat. And then the uh, owner of the Savannah Bananas, which is a baseball team in Georgia that's part baseball team, part circus, part entertainment extraordinaire. Um, And that was a lot of fun. Got to reconnect with some old friends, meet some new ones. I left Drew at home to battle the negative temperatures and keep our chickens alive and (laughs) um, watch over the homestead. So um, glad to be home though and had a great trip and come back feeling um, refreshed and like it was just a really good time. But this conference was a time of learning and reflection. We spent a lot of time on growth, development, and culture was the theme of the conference. We were talking about what creates a great culture and how do you how do you keep one once you have one? Because really the space that we create for people to be in, whether it's the culture of a team or the culture of a ministry or the culture of a job or a workplace, those things really matter. Um, in helping people feel seen and honored and valued and cared for and all the things that we want that people are attracted to that help bring purpose and meaning to the work that we do day in and day out. And we can use that information that we learn from each other to to grow. Um, and so we can decide, like when we get new information, we can take that information and then we have a decision to make. We can use it to make us better and to grow or we can d- decide like, hey, I don't need that information. I've already got a good thing going and then we don't do anything with it. Or um, that might work for them, but that's not going to work for me. Or that seems like a lot of effort and time and change. And those are things that we all naturally resist because we're all very human. And so it just really sparked some ideas in my brain about how often I hear people say the phrase, this is just who I am. And they don't add the tagline on deal with it, but that's kind of the suggestion. And when people say that phrase, this is just who I am, what they're saying is this is my natural default comfort zone and whether or not it's good or bad or healthy or toxic or helpful or 
uh, not, then this is just, this is it. This is where I am. This is who I am. I'm not becoming. I'm not growing. I'm not learning. This is it for me. And everybody else is just going to have to learn how to deal with it. And I understand that we are all uniquely wired. We have a specific, we, you know, there's all these personality tests that you can do. So there's Strengths Finders and Myers Briggs and Disc and the Enneagram and whatever else is out there. I know that there's a ton of them. Um, so there's all these different ways that we like to put ourselves into categories. You know, we say, oh, I'm an introvert or I'm an extrovert. Um, and, or, you know, I have ADHD or I have depression or I'm just not good with people or I just am not any good at communicating or I'm just very shy or I just like people. So I'm, it's not overbearing, you know, I'm, I'm just overbearing or I'm just bossy. And what we do is we give ourselves a label and then we say, okay, this is our label. This is the jar that we are. And so we're going to stay this way. And this is how the world has to interact with us. And, um, what at the end of the day, all of that boils down to it's pride. When we say that this is just who I am, that's pride built into a different package that's more palatable and that isn't called out and isn't uncomfortable and isn't a sin because it's just who we are. But really, Bible teaches us that we're born as a common man. So the that we're born into sinful flesh, we're born with sinful habits. We're not only born existing in sin, but we are born sinning. So we choose it. I mean, it doesn't take very long for a little baby to figure out what no means and how to directly disobey that. I mean, um you see it even in these tiny little kids, right? They first start learning how to crawl. And you say, don't you crawl towards those stairs. And they kind of turn around. They get this little toothless twinkle in their eyes. And they get this little grin. And they got drool falling out the sides of their mouth. And then as quick as they can, they start scooting. Like it may not even be a good crawl. But they're scooting as quick as, I can, as they can toward the exact thing that you told them not to. And it's like they may or may not even know the word stairs, but they knew the word no. And they decided, you know what? This is just who I am. Here goes, right? Like little evil Knievel, like we're going to hurdle toward these, toward these stairs as quickly as we can. And that's kind of a funny example or a cute example, but how, how are we are so much like that, like large children when it comes to so many of these things. And so honestly, when we say the phrase, well, this is just who I am, or we give ourselves a label and then make it an excuse. Now, here's there, here's the thing. There are some things that we are, and we are naturally built towards, and we are naturally bent and naturally good at. We've been given gifts, and we've been given talents, and we've been given responsibilities that we are meant to steward as people. But we typically don't say that for the positive attributes or for the things that we're exercising that God created us to be. Oh, this is just who I am. You know, I'm sitting here, you know, cleaning off tables or serving in the nursery or finding a person to help love on. We don't just, we don't do that. We do that when it's an excuse or, or a pride thing where we're like, well, this is just it. This is who we are. So everybody else is going to have to figure out how to work around that. It's typically in conjunction with those negative attributes. And so as we were doing this work at the conference around culture and leadership and development and growth and just being lifelong students of, of leadership and having a heart to learn and grow things, I recognized pride in myself when I say things that are similar that are like, okay, this is just how it is. Like, this is, 
I don't think it'll get any better. This is as good as it gets. This is the scenario. And when we resort to that kind of mindset, what we're saying is, I don't believe that I have any power to change what's going on in the world around me. I don't, I don't think that I have the ability to have a positive impact in the world around me. And so I'm just going to not, I'm just going to withdraw from that race. I'm going to stop trying to be the best version of myself because when we don't believe that we have the power to change things, we don't have the passion to strive for anything. And so I recognized some of that attitude in myself as we were doing this work and we hear it, you know, so often when we, we do give labels like, oh, well, I'm just... I'm just a regular guy or I'm, I'm just a lay person or I'm just a pastor. I can't connect that way or I can't learn this thing or I can't become this thing or I'm, I'm not, I don't have a degree. I don't have any training in that. What that does is it gives us a free pass and an excuse to check out and to um, become very self-centered instead of God-centered because really we're not supposed to be others-centered. We're supposed to be God-centered, and that allows us to serve others. But some people, you know, like, oh, I just spend too much time with my kids. I can't serve other people, or I just have too much going on in my life to be able to help other people with their lives. And really, that's pride. And that's saying, this is just who I am. This is just the life that I have. I don't have any control of it. I don't have any say of it. I don't have any opportunity to build a better one. This is just what it is. It is what it is. And, you know, there are things that we can and cannot control. There are things that we can and cannot develop. Like, but I was going to give an example, but I think that it's more important to say that when we approach life like that, we've handicapped ourselves because we've taken the belief away from ourselves that we can become more like Christ, that we can grow, that we can become better versions of ourselves, that we can be world changers, that we can have an impact and an influence in our communities and in our families, that we can have a better life than the one that we have now. And it's not coming from a place of greed or a place of uh, power or ambition. It's coming from a place of, I don't know about you, but I want to make a positive impact. I want people to see Jesus in me. I want the world to be a better place because I lived. I want people's lives to be better because I got the chance to be in it. And that's not... um, a superhero complex because I don't think that I have the ability to save people or to rescue people from themselves or to grow. Like I can't be more passionate about somebody's growth and development and becoming them be- their best selves than they are themselves. And so it's a very personal journey. But when we say things like, this is just who I am. I don't think it'll get any better. It is what it is. That's saying that I don't have any power in this life to make a difference or to make an impact or to point the honor and glory to God, or to become a better version of myself, or to discover what I'm capable of. And so I really, I recognized some of that in my attitude in the work that we were doing at the conference this week. And it's funny because like, that's not even directly what the conference was about, but just the inspiring people that I got to hear from and the lesson, the life lessons that they've collected and they've learned, and they were willing to share really gave me the opportunity to reflect and say, you know, am I, am I just settling or am I, 
am I passionate about growing and continuing to develop and stepping into the things that God has called me into? And not not saying this is it. This is as good as it gets. This is my plateau. Because I think that as long as we're living, we should be learning. And as long as we're learning, we should be growing. And so here's the core problem with that. When we're willing to say that, that's not the attitude that God has called us to for any of us. So the question for us is, how do we push through that attitude? How do we push through that stagnation or um, that that? drift in order to keep growing and to become the people that God has called us to be. And so I just jotted down a few thoughts on how we can do that. And before I jump into those thoughts, I just side note, I actually finally got new equipment. So I have a new computer, I have new microphone, um, been able to get some better, better stuff that works with the podcast and the technology. And so it's been working a lot better, but I'm still learning it because it's, I, so I've had, I had a MacBook for 10 years. I bought it. It was my, the first purchase I ever made after I paid off my college debt. And so it was a really big deal. And I had that laptop for 10 years, which is in the, in the technology world means it's an absolute archaic dinosaur, which is part of why we've been having so many issues. But I went to get another MacBook just because I like their safety features. I like how easy it is to use all these different things. And uh, I got there and the laptops don't have any USB ports. It's all wireless now, which is great when it works. But I really like having access to cords and things if, if as a fail safe in case something isn't working or there isn't a connection. And the so none of the MacBooks provided what I was looking for specifically needed. And so I found um, an HP computer that it's like the flip and you can do the touch screen and it's got all of the USB ports I could possibly hope and dream for. Um, anyway, so I'm really excited and it's been wonderful. So it's been 100% easier to get these things recorded, not cut off, not break out in the middle. And um, I'm just still figuring out how to navigate some of it because it's very different because I've done, I've been an Apple, Apple girl for a really long time. So if there's any weird sounds or pauses or anything like that, that's just, that's not the technology anymore the way it was before. That's just me <laughs> figuring out how to make it work. And so um, thank you again for bearing with me. And I'm excited that uh, we finally got a more professional setup and it's, it's much, much better than it was before. It made me want to pull all of my hair out and scream a lot trying to record some of those last ones. And so I'm excited to have, have access to real technology now that's, that's functioning. Um, but we'll just jump right in. So when we say this is just who I am, the first thought that I had as I was processing this in myself and recognizing that I need to get better was number one, Recognize and name pride. Acknowledge the very human tendency to make excuses and drift. So we don't like to name sin. We like to call it different things than what it is. So, for example, when we say this is just who I am, you know, like I'm just quick to be angry or I just say whatever is on my mind or I'm not going to back down if I feel offended or these different attitudes and behaviors that we all exhibit and display to varying degrees throughout our lives. And there's some that we naturally struggle with. Um, anger or fear or hatred or bitterness, um, pettiness, just these different, different character traits that are not good. And we like to call them different things because it makes us more comfortable with the fact that 
we are this negative thing because nobody likes that. Nobody enjoys it. Nobody wants to be a brat or a jerk or mean or an angry person or out of control or abusive. And we call them different things like, oh, I'm just an A-type personality. And so we say these things, but we have to recognize and name what it actually is because we are never, if we're not willing to be honest with what it is and what it's doing, then we are never going to be able to grow past it or get better at it or improve in that area. And so the first thing we have to do is recognize and name the sin. And so for, in this example, when we say this is just who I am, really that's a heart of pride. At, at its very core, it's a heart of pride, which isn't unique. We all have that. We all struggle with it. It was what they say is the original sin. Um, we've all all had battles with that in our lives and probably will to the end of our days. And the minute you say, oh, I don't battle pride is the minute you're battling it. And so it's a common universal theme among humans. It's our tendency to make excuses and to drift and then to call it something different because we don't like to change and we don't want to admit that we're a failure or that we're doing something wrong or that we've allowed this bad character trait to become a part of who we are to the point where it's just who we are. So the first step is to recognize and name it. The second step is to ask God to help you overcome it and give you a spirit of humility because we can't do this in our strength. The Bible teaches us over and over and over that there is none good but God and that our righteousness is as filthy rags and that we are as nothing compared to God's goodness. But then we still try to be good enough ourselves, good enough for some people to get to heaven or good enough to be accepted by our families or good enough to like we we want to be good enough. And so we think that if we try hard enough. So if you listen to the first part of this and you think, you know what, that hits home. I struggle with pride. I struggle with giving myself the excuse of this is just who I am. So deal with it, even if it's not wholesome, even if it's not healthy, even if it's not helping us become the people that God has called us to be. So we say, you know what? You're right. This is this is a problem. I need to work on it. I need to be intentional about it. I need to focus on it. I need to grow in this area. And then we go and we read a self-help book. And those are good things. I love books. I'm reading uh, Mindset by Carol Dweck right now. And I've read it multiple times before, but it's just a great refresher um, on how to grow and how to learn and how to overcome these things that are in our lives. And so that's not a bad thing, but we go and we read a self-help book and we get all fired up and we write. My thing is I write three by five cards and I leave them around because that's what helps me remember what I'm trying to learn because I get distracted really easy. And so I use that like, oh, well, I didn't remember. I forgot or I was going to focus on this. But and so I, I write three by five cards and then I put them in my pocket or I carry them in my purse or I leave them next to my bedstand. And so then I'm seeing them consistently and often and it's keeping what I'm trying to learn top of mind so I don't forget about it. But as children of God, what we have to understand is that what we can't do that ourselves because we aren't fundamentally good and we aren't fundamentally caring. We're fundamentally drifters and lazy and want to have our own way and rebellious. And that's that's our sinful nature. But when when we get saved and we when God gives us a new man and that we are renewed and we're given a soul that's alive forever and we're giving given infinite life, 
then it changes who we are in our spirit, but our flesh stays the same. Paul talks about that in Romans where he says, you know, the things that I would do, I don't do, and the things I don't want to do, I find myself doing them. And and it's that battle between the old man and the new man. It's that battle between the flesh and the spirit. It's the battle between carnal and spiritual. And that's a battle that we are honestly going to fight for as long as we are on earth because the vehicle that we are in is our fleshly bodies and they have the very natural tendency to choose the lazy, easy, wrong, selfish, prideful thing every time. And so if we're going to be the kind of people that are going to be selfless and humble servants and joyful followers of Christ then we cannot do that in our own strength. We can only do it in his. The good news is he offers it to us freely. I think about that verse in James where he says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God who giveth to all men liberally. And so when we ask God for his help, we ask God for his wisdom, for his strength, he's going to give it to us in abundance. He's going to give us the way out. That's what, like when he talks about temptation and he says, you will be tempted, but I will always give you a way to escape. There's always going to be an exit door and you're going to be tempted to not take it. You're going to want to stay. You're going to want to follow that through. But, but you haven't out. You've given, been given an exit and God promised those things. And so if we're going to become who in the image bears of God, if we're going to become in the likeness of God and more like Jesus, then that means we have to become less of this is just who I am. But we can only do that through the power and the help and the support of God. And so we have to run to him in all of our messiness and all of our pride and all of all of our arrogance. We have to say, God, I'm struggling. I'm not on the right track. And I'm kind of happy. I'm like, I'm content with that. Like, I'm good with it because this is just who I am. <laughs> and so we have to run to God and say, God, this is wrong. And I need your help and your strength in order to be able to do this. But he pours that out liberally and he promised it to us when we seek it. He says that we will find him when we seek him with our whole heart. And so the first thing is that we have to recognize and name sin. We have to recognize and name pride. The second thing is that we have to ask God to help us with it because we can't simply just help ourselves. We can do it for a time and we can definitely get better at it. But in order for it to be eternal and sustainable and bring glory to God, then we have to do it with him him, and in his path and not in our own. The third thing is to seek opportunities to learn. So when we have the attitude of this is just who I am, we're not trying to learn. We're not trying to grow. We're not trying to get better. We're not trying to find solutions because we've we've said there's not a problem. So if there's not a problem to solve, then there's nothing to get better at because this is just who I am. And so if we're going to step out of that and really break that habit and and seek that humility, then we have to seek opportunities to learn, which means intentionally going out of our way to find people that are better at something than we are and then admitting to them that we're not very good at it or we're flat out bad at it and we need to get better. And so we need to make it a discipline to ask good questions and admit that we don't know something or we don't have the learning or the knowledge or the skill to be good at something. And that was something I was challenged with at this conference this last week. And so one of my goals this year is going to be every month I'm going to seek somebody out who is better at something that I am, or I'm going to identify a weakness or a sin or a problem in my life or something that I'm not good at. I'm going to find somebody who is, and I'm going to ask them if I can spend some time with them. 
if I can pick their brain and ask questions about how they cultivate that or how they become that or how they foster that in their lives, and I'm going to take that and I'm going to learn how to do it in mine. But that means I've got to get really honest, like, hey, Sydney, you have fallen into the trap of pride where you think things are just the way they are and it is what it is and you it just you are who you are and that's a problem. And if I want to overcome that problem, then I need to be intentional about it. And so the third thing is that we need to seek opportunities to learn. And I'm sure I'll get to share more about that journey because I'm going to be spending time with people who are smarter and brighter and better in these different things than I am. And they're going to teach me so much. And so I'll have the opportunity to come and share some of those things with you as I seek to grow and as I seek to get out of the rut of this is just who I am and it just is how it is. So that's the third thing is we need to seek opportunities to learn. The fourth thought that I jotted down was that we need to apply the things that we learn in order to get better and grow. And I know that's very simple and it sounds kind of stupid because duh. But I mean, (laughs) as humans, we are really dumb sometimes. Like we really just don't get it a lot. And so sometimes we'll step out and we'll say, hey, I need to get better at this. I want to learn about it. I want to grow. We'll read that self-help book. We'll figure out that person that can mentor us or teach us the things that we need to get better at. And then we don't do anything with it, which it's the end of January right now. So if you want to do a grand experiment, do a review of the New Year's resolutions that you made one month ago. How are you doing? Are you sticking to it? Are you with it? Are you still going strong? Are you doing the things or not doing the things? Um, Or, you know, maybe you're not a New Year's resolution person. Ask somebody else who is. Like, hey, I knew that you said you wanted to start going to the gym again. How's that going? And um, statistically, it has dropped off tremendously about now. So now's a great time for the reminder that we can't just learn about it or seek the opportunities or recognize it, we actually have to apply it over time consistently. And it's really easy to get hyped up about something and then do it for a little while and then fizzle out and then not do it anymore or forget about it or put it on the back burner or say, hey, I'll come back to this when life is easier or it's not so crazy or things get better. But we have to understand that it's not going to be less crazy and the things aren't going to get better if we don't do the thing that we decided that we aren't going to do till it gets better. So we self-sabotage. We do that to ourselves. And so I know it's a simple concept and I don't think that you're stupid, but I just know our human tendency to drop off and make excuses and drift and relax and not stay focused. And so the forethought is that we have to apply the things that we learn in order to get better and grow. And just for accountability's sake, my New Year's, I don't really do New Year's resolutions, but it's like a time of reflection and how are what are things that I want to get better at as a person as a as a human as a wife all these things and one of the things that I did was I cut out soda so I quit drinking soft drinks and I actually did that several months before New Year's started but not like extremely seriously like I started cutting way back but didn't cut it out and uh, so my goal this year is just not to drink soda um, and, and every once in a while, you know, if I'm having a pizza, I'll have a Coke or if I'm getting a migraine and it's too late to kind of stop it at, in its tracks, then I'll slam a cherry Coke to try to get it under control. Um, but instead of just drinking it mindlessly or it's so easy because I work in a restaurant, I can just like the cups are right there and then the soda tower is right there and it's just really easy. It's really accessible. So I have to be disciplined and intentional to not just default to, to drinking soda because it tastes good and I like it. 
And um, so I've made the the intention several months before New Year's, but I've really hit it hard in the month of January not to drink soda. Uh, and if I do, to drink it intentionally. So not just refilling and refilling or drinking as much as I want. Like you get one soda and that's it for the day. Like you don't get one with lunch and then one with dinner. And it wasn't, I didn't drink a lot of it at home, but I was drinking a lot of it at work. So instead of just just easily grabbing it and drinking at work, making the intention to, okay, instead I'm going to drink something better like water. <laughs> I've been trying to drink a lot of water, but that's a really common New Year's resolution is drink more water, cut out sugar, cut out soda, whatever it is. And so I am doing things like that, but we have to apply it. And so on this trip, the the coolers were full, like you'd have different drink stations and all this and everywhere you could get sodas and then there was water. Um, it was sort of like there wasn't an option for tea because I like to drink a lot of tea as well. Um, so there wasn't an option for tea or some of those different things. It was just either, you know, three or four different types of soda and water. And I really, really, really just wanted to grab the soda because, you know, we're at a conference and it's in San Diego and we've got all these friends and we're catching up and, we have a tendency to want to indulge like, oh, it's okay, girl, just treat yourself kind of attitude. And so I had to be really intentional. I was like, no. And I'm, I'm very glad to say I didn't drink any soda on the trip. I only drank water. And, but I felt really good. I felt really good about it. But if I just talk about it and I don't do it, or we talk about seeking opportunities to grow or recognize that there's areas that we've drifted or we've made excuses for ourselves where we flat out sinning and comfortable with it, if we don't apply the things that we're learning, if we don't apply the things that God is teaching us, it doesn't make any difference. We're still going to be in the exact same spot. We're just going to be accountable for the knowledge that we now have that we're on top of being prideful or or drifting or whatever it is. On top of that, we're now being disobedient to who God calls us to be. And so the fourth point is apply the things that you learn. The fifth thought that I had in overcoming the pride of this is just who I am was find people who will be truth tellers, mentors, and coaches. People who genuinely care about you and ask them. Ask them what you're doing really well. Ask them where your blind spots are, or your weak spots are. Tell them what you've identified that you are struggling with or having a problem with and how you would like to get better because they can speak truth into your life. They can see you from a different perspective. I don't know if you've ever heard the phrase, I can't see the forest for the trees. But that adage basically means, and, and here's the thing, I live in Colorado, I grew up in the Rocky Mountains, and every year, every single year, without fail, people die from getting lost in the woods, from exposure to elements, from um, not taking the right equipment, or not timing something right. The, the weather can change insanely quickly in these mountains. Um, there's a running joke in Colorado that's, if you don't like the weather, just wait for five minutes and you'll have different weather. And so it can change really fast. And even experienced mountaineers and rock climbers and outdoorsmen can can fall into deep trouble if they get lazy or if they get um, just really comfortable with their experience and their knowledge and their life. And we tend to do the same thing. And there was a couple that went on a hike. I think it was in Colorado. It might have been Arizona. I don't know. I read an article about it a couple weeks ago. And they were hiking like a 13 or 14 mile trail throughout the night. So they were going to camp and then like they hiked in the afternoon. They were going to camp in the middle and then hike out the next morning. And they were prepared for like the hike. They had water. They had food. They had a tent. 
but what they weren't prepared for was the temperature to drop massively. And it wasn't particularly unexpected. They just didn't really think about it. And they weren't novices. I mean, they, they enjoyed hiking and had, were avid hikers and had done it before. They, it was just something that they'd gotten really comfortable with and they didn't even think about. And they didn't have the proper layers of clothing to keep themselves warm enough. And what's really interesting is most people don't get hypothermic and die in like negative temperatures or below freezing temperatures. It's actually some somewhere between like the 32 and the 45 degree range when people's temperatures drop from, you know, higher ranges or the external like nature temperature drops drastically. You know, here in Pueblo, Colorado, we can get massive swings of, you know, 20, 30, 40 degrees in a single day. And that's actually the the biggest danger zone is when you're in between that hot and that cold and your body hasn't regulated. That's when most people get hypothermic and can eventually die, which actually I, um, so back in, I don't know, I don't know what year it was. It was probably nine years ago. Nine years ago, I had a group of friends that invited me to run a Tough Mudder with them. And if any of you are familiar with mud runs, this is like the Mac Daddy. So it's it's a 13-mile run with a whole bunch of different obstacles. And these obstacles aren't like cute, fun, easy obstacles. They're they're Some of them are pulled from military training because a lot of the funds that they raise go to the Wounded Warrior Project to help serve veterans in our communities, which is really neat. And so... I was invited to do this Tough Mudder and I spent seven weeks training for it, but I'll be completely honest, my training was not extremely disciplined and it was uh, very haphazard and not consistent at all. (laughs) And I was like, you know, I'll just, it's one run. How tough can it really be? I mean, I'll just power through it and be sore for a few days and it'll be fine. And so I didn't take my training seriously. I did take it somewhat seriously. I mean, I was running every other day and I was trying to add miles each day, but I never got anywhere close to 10 or 12 miles in a day. And then I was going to do this run. So first of all, that was stupid, but I, it was the first interstate mud run that they were doing. And it was in between Virginia and West Virginia up in the, in the hills of Virginia. And these obstacles were not just like easy obstacles. Like I said, they were pulling them from (laughs) these military training programs and all these different kinds of things. And so the first obstacle was there was a shallow ditch filled with water that was lined with electrical wires, live electrical wires that were hanging down near the water. So not touching the water, not in the water, but just dangling happily there, waving in the wind slightly above the water. And what you had to do was you had to drop down into this ditch and army crawl underneath the wires The problem was if you touched the live wire that was dangling happily, then you would get zapped. So you get electrocuted. Why I signed up for this and paid money for this, I don't know, but I did. And it was actually a blast and a lot of fun, but (laughs) that's beside the point. So we're army crawling underneath this. So we're wet right out the gate. We are soaking wet. There's not a single dry portion of our entire bodies. And then we keep going and then you have to pick up like a log with a buddy and carry it. And then there's these huge hay bales that are slipping around everywhere. You've got to climb up to the top of them, go to the other side. And then there's these tunnels that you that are underground. So if you're claustrophobic, don't recommend that. But you have to crawl underneath them and your elbows are getting bruised up and your knees are getting cuts in them from the rocks and you're climbing and you're going. And then there's a vertical wall that it starts as a slope and you've it's probably 
15 feet high. And so you've got to try to run up this wall and get to the top. And we're jumping like little jumping beans trying to get up to the top. And some of them are making it. And they what they're turning around is they're turning around. They're grabbing their buddies. And they're if they can get up far enough, then they'll pull you up the rest of the way. And then you go to one where there's this big, huge, heavy like ship ropes that are all hung up between these poles. And you've got to climb up over these ropes. Um, but it's, you know, blowing in the wind. You have to hold on for dear life. And your hands are getting rope burned. And we're having the time of our lives. So I made it uh, about four miles in and it's going pretty well. Like we're pacing ourselves. We're feeling pretty good. We've had our electrolytes and, you know, we've got our sweatbands and our numbers and it's not too bad at that point. We were wet, but not like it was like we kind of dried off along the way. And it started off as a bright, sunshiny, beautiful day. It wasn't extremely warm. It was like mid 50s, low 60s kind of thing. Um, but then about a third of the way in these, these clouds rolled in and they were, they were heavy clouds and it dropped the temperature. So it wasn't raining, but it dropped the temperature below the 50s. So it was in the forties, like it was in the high forties. And so then the next obstacle, we run around this bend and there's a truck bed, like a massive, you know, like those Walmart trucks that deliver the goods to all the store locations. There was a huge truck bed sitting on the ground and a ladder leading up to it and then a ladder leading away from it and a diving board off the edge of it. So we are kind of all looking at each other and all painted on the side are these huge words and it says Arctic enema. Arctic enema. That really should have been my sign. That should, that should have been my sign right there where I'm like, mm, no go for me. I'm good and gone around it because here's the thing. We had full permission to go around the obstacle. So if there was any obstacle that we didn't feel comfortable with or didn't feel like we had the capacity for, there was no obligation to do it. And so, but I am a prideful, competitive human being. And so I was bound and determined to do every single one of those obstacles. So I go up to the platform and I'm standing in line behind the other people that are attempting this. And the reason it's the Arctic enema is because not only is this big truck bed filled with water, it's also filled with ice, more ice than water. And there is a board in the middle of it that is taller than the bed itself. So you can't just jump in and swim across. You actually have to dive through the ice and there's like chunks of ice that you have to push out of the way. You have to dive to the bottom and swim underneath the board, fight your way. And you can't just pop back up out of the water. You've got to fight your way back up through all of these chunks of ice and then climb out of the side. And they've got like space blankets ready for you and then you keep going on your way. Um, However, I'm not a very big person. I mean, I don't have very much extra body, body fat on me. And so I don't have very good coping mechanisms for when I get really cold. I just really stay cold, which living in Colorado means I'm cold from November to May. (laughs) So I'm standing at the top of this and I tried it the first time, like try to jump and I got freaked out and I didn't. And then I looked at the guy standing there that was kind of like helping guide people in. And I said, sir, can you do me a favor? And he says, yes. I said, on the count of three, can you please push me in? And he started laughing. He's like, yes, I can do that. And so I said, one, two, and he pushed. He didn't let me make it till three, which is probably good because I would have ducked or ran or something. So I go plunging into this ice water and it completely takes the breath out of me completely and entirely in that like, (gasps) I don't know if you've ever felt that, but if you have, you know exactly what that sound was. That was the sound of just all the breath being snatched out of my body. 
And so I dove under the ice the first time and I was almost drowned when I was two. So I also hate water. I hate swimming. I hate water on my face, in my nose, in my eyes, in my ears. I loathe it. And so I tried to make it down the first time I did it. So I came back up and I'm gasping for breath. And they're like, well, do you want to come out? And I was like, no, I'm going to try it one more time. So I take a deep breath and with every ounce of will in my body, I push down through the chunks of ice and I kick down to the bottom and I, I didn't even make it to the very bottom, but I felt where the bottom of the uh, board was and I pulled myself down that way and pulled myself underneath it and then started frantically clawing my way back up to the surface and I made it to the other side and I climbed out and I just kind of just fell to the ground and huddled up in this tiny little shivering pathetic ball and they gave me a space blanket and my lips are blue and my skin is is just ghostly white, which I didn't know about at the time. I found out afterwards. And what happened was I actually fell into hypothermia because of the drop in temperature of the day and my body composition and then going through this Arctic enema, which is a very apt name, (laughs) actually. And so I kept going, but I only made it, I think I made it two more miles and I kept going slower and slower and people's voices kept getting further and further away. And my body started, just every bit of it started cramping up. And part of that was because I was not in shape and not prepared and had not trained as hard as I needed to, to be ready for this. But then you combine that with the the plunge into that ice water and my body pretty much shut down. So I was I was shivering and my lips were blue and they bundled me up into an emergency cart and took me up to the tent and put me in one of those like blow heaters like it's like red and and I sat as close as I possibly could to it. So my flesh was burning but I was still freezing cold and they were trying to give me lots of bananas and electrolytes and it took me 3 hours to stop shivering. I mean I was hy- I had I was hypothermic. Um anyway so so that was my story with hypothermia. So it really is a very real thing. And that danger zone isn't when you get down to those really freezing temperatures. Like it can happen, but usually you're more prepared for those. It's those in-between temperatures where people don't expect it and aren't prepared for it. And that's what happened with these hikers that had gone out into this hiking trail. And they got hypothermic. And so the lady, she didn't have layers and they got lost. They didn't know where they were at on the trail. And so the man went on ahead and at a faster pace to go and get help and bring it back. And she kept going at a slower pace. And so he finally made it back and they sent out a search team into this trail and they found her a mile away, one mile away. And she was, she was dead. She died of hypothermia and exposure to the elements. And so in Colorado, we have we get comfortable because we're outdoors people and we have activities and everybody hikes and everybody fishes or, or um, climbs 14ers or does rock climbing or does jeeping and telluride. And we we're all like, that's just the culture here. And so we tend to get prideful, like, Hey, we know what we're doing. We know how to hike. Like we're not stupid. We've got everything we need. We've done this before. And then people inevitably go out into the wilderness, tenured, people like not just like the random tourists I mean they get lost and eaten by bears sometimes and stuff happens but really people that know what they're doing and how to do it they get complacent they say well this is who I am or this is just who I am or this is how I hike or this is what I do and then they don't pay attention to those things and they don't ask the right questions and so 
they don't find people that are going to tell them the truth and that are going to genuinely care about them. Or if they do, they're like, oh, I don't need that. I'm, I know what I'm doing. And then they go out and they f- freeze to death a mile from their destination. And that story really stuck with me because it was so sad. It was so sad because they were veterans. They knew what they were doing and they, she still died. And so it really is important. It's important to our soul and our spirit and our very lives. So we have to find people who are going to be truth tellers, mentors, and coaches, and who genuinely care about us. And the sixth thought is that we have to submit our sinful, this is just who I am, deal with it attitude to the passion of becoming who God wants us to become instead. And the reason that is so, so, so important is because if we don't get a passion and a spark and a desire and a hope to become more like Jesus, to become more like who God has created us to be, to become the best version of ourselves, then just saying, okay, I recognize pride or I recognize um, meanness or bitterness or pettiness or whatever, whatever sin we recognized in our lives, if we don't submit it to God and truly have a passion to become who God creates us to be, then we're never going to get there. We're never going to grow. We're never going to change because we have to submit that sinful attitude to a greater passion. The, the universe hates a vacuum. You know, something's always going to come in to fill it. And so if we just recognize it, we try to cut it out of our lives, but we don't fill it with a greater passion or a greater desire or a holier purpose, then it's going to fizzle out. And that's why New Year's resolutions fizzle out because instead of saying, okay, this is who I want to become, it's this is who I don't want to be. So I want to, I don't want to, I want to lose this weight or I want to get in shape. Like I don't want to be out of shape instead of I want to be able to achieve this thing. I want to be able to wear this clothing. We really have to flip it because words and intentions and passions matter. And so if we just say, you're right, I have a pride problem or I have a pettiness problem or I have a meanness problem or a bitterness problem, but we don't say, okay, but I want to submit that to the passion of becoming who God wants us to become, there's going to be a vacuum and it's going to be filled. And as very typical humans, it's going to be filled with probably something similar or the same thing that's not going to help us become who God wants us to become. So that's the sixth thought. And and here's the thing. None of us are a finished product. So this applies to all of us. It doesn't matter if we're somebody who's been in ministry for 30 years or somebody who's been saved three days. It doesn't matter if it's somebody who's 14, 15, 16 years old, or if you're in high school and you're listening to this or in your 60s, 70s, and 80s, because none of us have arrived. None of us are a finished product. We're still on that journey until we get to heaven. And so this process does apply to every one of us, regardless of where we are in the journey or or what we have going on. And so then the seventh and final thought that I had was that we need to get excited that the person God, we need to get excited that the person God conforms to his image and who he wants us to be. So we can lean in and we can embrace that with joy and humility. And it opens up the floodgates of purpose and bringing glory to God. Um, This doesn't have to be a drag or a drudge or just a flagellation of beating ourselves up because we recognize this sin in our lives. Like there's always going to be sin in our lives because we're human. And even as we seek to serve God, we're going to fail and we're going to drift and we're going to have these attitudes. And that's why these checkpoints of reflection and honesty are so important in keeping us on the right track and correcting our course. 
and helping us become who we're supposed to be and who God called us to be, which is more like Christ. And so when we get excited about it, we become passionate about allowing God to give us the power and the strength to submit to him, to conform us to his image, then we get to embrace that. And God leads us on these great adventures and we get to learn things and we get to grow and we get to develop and become more like Christ, God is Christ and who God has called us to be. It gives us purpose. It gives us humility. It gives us joy. It helps us point the glory to God. And so that's in, in my learning and in my reflection, those are the lessons that I've picked up in the course of the last four days. And um, pride was mine, where I've got some areas in my life where I've really fallen into the trap of pride, where it's like, okay, I've got this, and this is just how it is or who I am or how I'm wired, and recognizing that I don't do everything best and that there are so many people that I can learn from and that can pour into me to become better and that I can submit to God and say, God, you know, I can't do this on my own um, because I'm content in my pride. I'm proud of the things that I've done. And so really understanding that we need God's help. We need our communities and people of God's help. And that when we submit to that and we recognize it and we embrace it, then it gives us the opportunity to really grow intentionally and get better and um, fail forward instead of just failing. And so I'm excited and I'm excited to share about some of the people that I get to meet and the things that I get to learn from them. Because what I'm doing in this recognition is I will be going to, like I mentioned, one person a month and just saying, hey, this is something that I don't do well or I'm not very good at. Will you teach me? What can what can I learn from you? And so I'm excited about it. I hope that you have a great week. I'm excited to connect again next week. And I appreciate all of your time and care in this community. And we'll talk soon. Thank you for tuning in to the Graceful and Gritty podcast. You can connect with me on Facebook, Instagram, or by email at gracefulandgritty at gmail.com. Talk to you soon.